Welcome to Ride With Us. Ride With Us. Presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a group of super fans with a mission to appreciate, promote, and preserve roller coasters around the globe. Around the globe. It's time to keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times. Here's your hosts, Clint Novak and Chris Roberry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ace Ride With Us podcast. My name is Chris Roberry. And I'm Elizabeth Ringus. And Elizabeth, great to have you on the show again. We've got a whole jam-packed show for our Ace fans, don't we? We do. There is a lot going on, particularly for it to be January. I can't believe how much is going on in the coaster world. It's kind of crazy, to be honest. I guess we're trying to pack two January's worth of news into one January, given everything that's going on. Uh, we're going to talk today about Connected by Coasters and the initiative behind that, what it means, and how you, that's right, you can be a part of it. Yes, we are, Chris. I am very excited. This is such a great opportunity for us to highlight our members and all that's ahead for this year, because we know 2022 is going to be great. It might not be starting great, with a little bit too much COVID going on. But I know that there's a really fun year ahead for us. We'll also get to sit down with Dr. David Lewis to discuss the health benefits, you heard me right, of riding a roller coaster, including, will you believe this, Elizabeth, superhuman strength? Woo! Dr. Lewis does give us some great insight and some great justification for our hobby, I think. Uh, Most definitely. So definitely stay tuned for that. And now we do often also talk about the elephant in the room. We'll also chat about the death of the blue streak at Conneaut Lake Park this week uh, as we record this podcast, that is. Uh, But before all of that, it is time to find out about what ACE events are happening in your area. Just because it's winter doesn't mean there aren't great events to check out in your region. Down here in Texas, it's time for Winterfest, this year at Six Flags Fiesta, Texas, in San Antonio, on Saturday, January 22nd. This in-person event features presenters from across the country, and you just might end up with some more freebies than you paid for in registration fees. On Sunday, February 6th, meet up with fellow ACE members for some ERT and friendship at Mall of America and Nickelodeon Universe. Now, as public health directives change by the day, be sure to check your emails and our website for the latest on any events that you might have registered for or maybe you're thinking about attending. And don't forget, if you're thinking about running to be an officer at ACE, we've got two important deadlines coming up. February 2nd is the first day that nominations open for president, vice president, and treasurer, and they'll be closing on March 31st. For the latest updates and information, be sure to check out aceonline.org. Well, Elizabeth, I know that a lot of folks are trying to keep track of all the changes and everything happening with the events, especially given what's going on in the world right now. So we really appreciate all the flexibility and understanding from all of our ACE members as we try to make everything work here as best we can. It is. As COVID has taught us, everything is a constant changing world and we just never know what's ahead. So, you know, making plans, but really this pandemic, it's taught us that everything's fluid and we really have to embrace everything now. But did you learn anything from the pandemic that's really changed your outlook heading into the new year? You know, the one thing that I've probably taken away from it is to treasure every moment. You know, to to know that your friends are always there for you and that those relationships 
that you've made, whether it be family, friends, or coaster friends, they're so vitally important to our lives and never to forget that. That is really a great lesson. I know I have experienced something similar to that in that, you know, really knowing who my friends are, the ones that I make a priority to still connect with even virtually. How about you? Have you been able to find that core group now that you really connect with? Oh, absolutely. And I think everybody listening has that same core group somewhere, whether that be just friends who aren't into coasters or friends who are, that that's so important to be able to connect, whether that being in person or virtually. That's it. And I found that a lot of my coaster friends are the ones who really get me. I really love that. (laughs) I mean, for anyone who's met Elizabeth before, it's like, yeah, she's really into coasters. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's it. I know. I love that you took something from the pandemic. And that's what we, I hope for everybody is that, you know, we stop and reflect. We talk about New Year's resolutions and everything this time of year. But for me, it's really about what do I want my mission to be this year? I actually always pick a word for my year so that it gives me direction, helps me make decisions on what's really important. Have you ever done anything like that? Or do you do New Year's resolutions? Yeah, I've I've tried the whole New Year's resolution thing and it works for a little while, but inevitably, yeah, it just doesn't work out. I agree. Me too. And a lot of times it's just because it wasn't the right direction or it didn't have enough of a broad spectrum to take me through the whole year. But I know that what I really learned from the pandemic was I needed to focus on self-care, not just self-maintenance. And I learned the difference in those two things. So what are the two differences for someone who maybe doesn't know? So I learned that self-care are those little special things we do for ourselves. It's not about what gets us through every day. You know, every day, a lot of people, you know, enjoy that time getting ready in the morning and But that's self-maintenance. Those are the things we do to take care of ourselves. Self-care are those extras. Having a hobby is self-care because it takes us out of our normal lives and makes us think differently. We interact with different people. We do different volunteer work. We challenge ourselves different ways. Um, It's truly about fulfilling ourselves. And that's what I learned self-care was. And I wasn't doing enough self-care before this pandemic and even in the beginning of it. Yeah, I've, I feel like a lot of people were in that same boat, right? Is that they didn't quite understand, you know, how much they had been pushing themselves. Agreed. And I think a lot of us also felt so lost because our self-care was riding roller coasters and that was taken away from us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that really brought up what we wanted to focus on in ACE this year. It, you know, really focusing on our hobby. And as I thought about our members, it made me think about how, we're always saying that we came for the roller coasters, but we stay for the friends. And I really thought a lot about that, that yes, we're staying, but it's not just the friends. It's the fulfillment that we're getting from not just coasters, but everything in that package, whether it's our friends, if it's our volunteering, if it's something we do to challenge ourselves, it's, there's so much expanded in that passion of coasters. And I started thinking about our members and how many of them have set goals of, for example, ride every wooden roller coaster. Mm -hmm. They um, became an author because of their passion for coasters or they became a historian. So many people have expanded their passion for coasters and done even more with it other than riding. And so it started me thinking that really 
we do love our friends, but we stay for the fulfillment that ACE gives us. It's self-care. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many people do we know personally that you know as you're listening to this right now that maybe became into photography as a result of their friendships and their love of coasters or maybe got into video production or huh, podcasting, you know? It's it it's a cool almost entry point, isn't it? It is. And it started getting me really fascinated as I thought about more and more of our members, but I have the advantage volunteering so much that I get to know our members. I want everybody to have that chance and to even build greater friendships and know people when they go to the parks more. So we came up with this idea that this year is all about connected by coasters. It's all about how our members got connected by coasters. No, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> it? And so we are going to spend the year highlighting our members and all the neat things they do with their photography, videography. We want to hear their stories. So we're looking for people to share their coaster story with us. And we're going to feature them on our social media, on our podcast, in our publications. We really want our members to get to know all of our other members. That sounds like a wonderful idea. So my question, of course, would be, how does one get to share their passion and their extra connected by coasters experience. That's it. It's open to absolutely every ACE member. We want them to submit their story on a Google form and it's going to be in the next email blast and it will be in every email blast on the right side in the quick links all year long. So you can share your story anytime and we're going to reach out and find the best place to share your story because we want our members to know the special things you're doing in your coaster passion. And we know that ACE members love to share their passion. So what better way to share it with the entire ACE membership than to become a part of this Connected by Coasters experience? Exactly, and even outside the ACE world, let other enthusiasts that are listening to our podcast hear your story. You never know who it will inspire. I think about the people in ACE and the coaster world who have inspired me. And so I love the chance to pass that on because I have found some of the greatest influencers in my life in the coaster world. No doubt. No doubt at all. This sounds really, really exciting, Elizabeth. Thanks, Chris. I'm glad you like it. And I hope our members enjoy it. I want us to just really have fun with this and everybody just let your coaster enthusiasm shine. So once again, if someone's interested in potentially sharing their Connected by Coasters experience, how can they do it? They're going to submit a Google form that the link will be in the next email blast that comes out and every email blast from here on out this year. So on the right side of your email blast are quick links for things like your volunteer skills survey and um, the QR code to share your ACE membership and get to the joint ACE page. And you're going to see a Connected by Coasters link right there. Well, ACE members, you have heard it here first. Get on that. And if you're not an ACE member yet, check us out, aceonline.org, and you can see how you can join and be part of the Connected by Coasters Fun. Chris, I am so excited to have Dr. David Lewis on the podcast this month as our guest. I happened upon his work when I was reading an article about the health benefits of roller coasters because... I found out that having a hobby was so healthy. I wanted to see what else was out there. And all his studies that he did popped up and I started learning about everything he had studied in roller coaster world. I was fascinated. 
Well, I got a chance to sit down with him, albeit virtually, because he's in Great Britain. And let me tell you, some of the things that he found out are simply mind-blowing. Like, you will not believe some of the cool physiological and mental benefits there are to riding coasters, even if they might be fish for fleeting moments, as we will soon find out. Check out this interview. Well, everybody, I'm really excited about this because we have really a quite unique guest on the show with us today. So I'm going to introduce Dr. David Lewis, who has a PhD in clinical psychology. And just to show how cool the world is, we're talking to him right now all the way over in Great Britain. And here I am in Arlington, Texas. It is about five o'clock in the morning, but we are going to do our best, at least over here. There, it's probably right around lunchtime. So I look forward to getting there at some point. Uh, Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure, Chris. Always nice to speak to your great American public. I have great admiration for your country. I've worked there uh, and, and traveled very widely in the past. <laughs> in the past, I have to say, before COVID. Uh, but yes, yes, so it's always a great pleasure. So tell us a little bit about uh, your history. Uh, what got you into psychology to begin with? And then we'll get into a bit of uh, how you're connected to coasters. Well, I uh, started life studying medicine. I'd always wanted to be a doctor ever since I was a small child. My mother used to be horrified because I'd bring back roadkill and dissect it and leave the remains <laughs> in her fridge. So she'd come down bleary-eyed in the morning to make a cup of coffee and she'd find a, a dead animal lur lurking in her fridge and staring at her. So it wasn't terribly popular. However, so I started medicine. I started up in a medical school in London and the medical school was very near to a street where there were where they had sort of secondhand bookshops. And during the lunch breaks, I used to go and wander around these bookshops. So on one occasion, I found this book about journalism. And it absolutely fascinated me. So I, I read it all night. And in the morning, I woke up, I went to my dean, and I said, I'm leaving medicine. I want to become a journalist, which rather horrified them. But anyhow, that's what I did. And I worked in Fleet Street for about a decade. I was placed to some uh, rather unpleasant places, which I was sent, for example, not this unpleasant place, but just an unpleasant circumstance. In fact, it's a very, very pleasant place. I was sent to Ireland. I was sent to Northern Ireland uh, at the time of what they like to call the Troubles, which I'm sure you've all <laughs> heard of, uh, which was basically people trying to kill each other, particularly tied to kill the British. Mm for various historical reasons. Uh, and then I was in the Middle East, uh, where there was also people fighting each other. And so I was exposed in those days to a great deal of fear and anxiety, quite perfectly justified fear and anxiety, if you're being blown up or shot or killed. I know, as any of your veterans will know, it can be quite scary. Uh, and so when I, I decided to get out of journalism in the work, after about a decade, and I returned to university, I decided I would like to study psychology because I want to try and help people uh, who were frightened, not because they were frightened, because in the UK, thank the Lord, we're not being bombed, or at the moment at least, yeah. uh, but uh, or shot at. But, you know, fear is fear, and however it's generated, it can be very debilitating, uh, very life-destroying, it can, you know, ruin your prospects, it can undermine your health, in, in the UK, and I know in America as well, for my American medical colleagues, there's a huge amount of mental illness has been uh, occasioned by 
the deprivations of lockdown by the whole you know, different difference which the uh, the COVID and now the Omicron uh, virus has made to people's lives. So we are seeing, particularly among young people, a huge increase in in mental difficulties. So my research was conducted in this area and looking at ways of trying to assist people who were suffering, particularly assisting them through like community help by setting up groups which enable people to sort of talk to each other about their problems because talking through a problem whether with a therapist or a priest or just your your partner if you can do that um you know it can be terribly terribly helpful i think that one of the problems with society i don't know whether it's true in america but it's certainly true in the uk which tends to be a very button-down society we're quite good many of us are talking uh, but we're not very good at listening. So mm. listen, you know, more than talk or more than jumping in where somebody says, oh, I've got this problem. And they, they say, I know exactly what the answer is. Well, you don't know what the answer is because everybody is different. We all have our unique subjective outlook on life. So I can't understand how your mind works and you can't understand how my mind works. I mean, that doesn't mean we can't be empathic with one another and, and relate to one another. But But nonetheless, nevertheless, it's... It's just the ability just to listen without thinking you have to provide an answer. It is odd, right? Because you see what happens with online culture. And if there's a break in a conversation, then it, for some reason it feels awkward when in reality it's perfectly fine because you're processing the information and trying to figure out what's next as opposed to just trying to be filler where there can't be anything where there's a break and it's for some people, it does feel very awkward and I can certainly see that. And also can certainly, you know, I think you're spot on saying that the British tend to be very much stiff upper lip. Let's not talk about it. Let's just sort of bury everything. And that's, I think to a degree um, Americans as well, that we just don't like to, we don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, but he's still in the room. Yes, indeed. I think you're absolutely right. I, I, in my experience of of of, of working in, in, in America, you are much more open and much more. I think what, one of the great things about your culture is that you are very much more. You see the glass as as half full, uh, or at least you did it. In, <laughs> we did. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> rather than half empty. And I think the British always see that they're always looking for the problems. I think taking a, you know, a, a more optimistic, not a what they call a Panglossian view, where you try to ignore the problems and think they'll just magically go away. You know, they don't. I just feel that if we could, you know, be more open to other people, and as you quite rightly say, Chris, not fear silences. We we've got to this stage where you have to say something, but, you know, and one of the problems with mask wearing is it shuts out a lot of the non-verbal communication, the body language, which is so important because you can, you communicate with another person on a, on a face-to-face meeting or even on a zoom call like this, uh, non-verbally as you are picking up the small silent signals, the eye movements, the direction of the gaze, the, where their mouth moves and where their expressions are, you know, and I think this is so important. And, and it, we we are some it, to some degree, particularly in the UK, uh, touch deprived. You know, we, we can't touch each other now uh, in a perfectly friendly and, and, and affectionate way uh, because 
it might give us a, a disease. So I do think this, we, people don't recognise, I think, to the, the extent to which COVID has really changed the way society is, is interacting. But the British are very bad. They have a very bad educational system, uh, which, which basically, particularly uh, what we call, for some laughing reason, public schools, which are actually highly selective and highly expensive schools, uh, which are all boys or all girls. And to my view, whilst this may encourage, actually, it, all girls' school tend to be better for girls, but I think in some ways they tend to be worse than for boys because they never learn to socialise with the, the opposite sex. And they, they're also very, you have very hierarchical. I think in America you might have, have much more, in a sense, democracy in the sense that you're much more open with each other. Now, you may disagree with that, but certainly, and I found this as one travels further south in the States, you get a completely, you know, different sort of attitude. You know, if you've been working in New York, try working in LA, you know, uh, it, it's a completely different setup. California is very different to, to the East Coast. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, originally actually from California. So, and then I moved to Texas. So you can imagine that was uh, just a bit of a, uh, a culture shock to say the least, uh, let alone a uh, temperature shock. <laughs> well, indeed. Okay, you know, so I, I don't think we can generalize about this. You know, there's no such thing as American. There's no such thing as a British uh, person or a French person. There are people who can, you can define because they have the status of, of living in that country. But we're all different. We're, everybody is different. And, you know, you're, you're a different person to a, another American I might meet. And I'm a different person to other British people you might meet. So I do think we have to recognise the uniqueness of every every human being and ac accept them at that level. The trouble is, I think, particularly on social media these days, and I tend to avoid social media, it's all anger. There's so much anger. And, and very often for my studies, I think that anger is just really a branch of fear. People who become very angry are using that anger to try and control events. You know, the 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 part of the brain, the part of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system responsible for anxiety. Also, it depends how you define it. Do you say I'm very frightened, therefore I'm going to run away? Or do you say I'm very angry, therefore I'm going to stand and fight? The fight or flight response, as, you, as your, your listeners will know, is how we deal with situations. And I think the less control people feel they have in the world, the more they desire to either run away from it and hide, or to stand up and and fight and and in either state, you know, you're at the moment I'm doing research to what is called inattentional blindness, where we fail to see what is happening in front of us. And when you're very angry, and my research has shown this, or very frightened, or indeed just anxious, you tend to shut out a lot of this it, the visual information you're getting uh, from the world around you, and you tend to focus too narrowly on just one aspect of it. Hmm. That's absolutely fascinating, and it makes a, a lot of sense. So linking back then to the fight or flight, which is something, like you said, that a lot of folks know about, uh, how does that connect then to your research on amusement parks and thrill rides, specifically coasters? It may seem a little bit odd, but ethically, in a laboratory, I can't take naive subjects into my laboratory. 
and fried the life out of them. I mean, that would be a very unethical thing to do. You, you wouldn't get permission from your ethics committee. At least you might in Soviet Russia, but I don't think you would in, in a democracy. Uh, oh, I'm sure there are many parts of the world where you get permission to do that. Uh, China, for example. But here we can't do that. So we have to try and find. So I, I've been interested many years in what I call fun fear. This is where you are put in a situation where you're actually frightened. You are scared. So it could be going to a fright night or it could be going to, I don't know, there are various places you go to watch a horror movie, for example. But when you are a white knuckle ride, as, uh, as they call them, you are both terrified at a, at a, uh, uh, sort of what we call an autonomic level, but consciously are aware that these devices, however terrifying they may appear, are engineered to be perfectly safe. You know, the last thing any theme park operator wants to do is have a ride which kills people. That would be, you know, apart from it being a, a tragedy for those involved, it would be from a PR camp point of view, a, an absolute total disaster. Now, it wasn't quite the case back in the day, of course, because back in the 1920s, if a ride were to um, expedite someone uh, going to the great beyond, then uh, the line would get longer. Yes, well, that, that is true. The, 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 but I think the, nowadays we live in a very, I mean, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as health and safety. There was no such thing as, you know, any of the protections, which we now quite rightly have. Mm-hmm safeguard people i i mean you know the number of for example deaths on the road uh were, were astronomical compared to the number of deaths on the road these days and taking into account the increased volumes of traffic on the roads these days so really things are getting safer mm-hmm. also lawyers have now got involved and so there may be the ride there may be a queue a line stretching out of the, the theme park there's also be a line of lawyers deciding how much money they can get from the theme park uh, you know, to compensate those who perhaps watch it on television have now suffered a nervous breakdown because of what they saw on the media. So I think generally people objectively know that they're not going to be hurt. They're going to be scared out of the wish to get a thrill. And the other thing I found about theme park rides is that you need to enjoy it most if you're a loud group, a loud group, well, a loud group, certainly a large group, of people. When we've measured people's fear levels when they're riding all by themselves on a ride, it's much more intense than when they're screaming their heads off with, you know, 30 or 40 other people all sitting beside them and behind them and in front of them. Oh, interesting. It's a cohesion thing. You all feel you've gone through this together and therefore you kind of of somehow united with the fear you've the fear in inverted commas you've all all experienced. So it can be a very unifying thing for those people who've ridden the ride together. And very often you get groups of friends or colleagues from work on a on a you know on some kind of firm sponsored outing. And so it it can be a great team building sort of ex- experience. Uh, how interesting you bring that up too, because you know as a a member of American Coaster Enthusiasts, we're the largest enthusiast based organization. Of course you all have the uh, European Coaster Club out there as well. There is something about all of us getting together and having fun as a group. If we're there for a special event or an exclusive ride time, yeah, maybe it doesn't seem as much terrifying as much as it is fun. And it's certainly not as much fun when it's just you 
If you've just one person on the ride, then it is kind of lame because you don't get that extra sensory items. You don't get the other people screaming. You don't feel like it's a communal event. We actually call it a Zen ride when there's nobody else on the ride for you. And that's fascinating that you actually found a, a difference in the results. Well, yeah, absolutely, yes. I mean, it's the same as marching together or, or dancing together or, or going on a hike together in the wilderness. It, it, it's this, we're a social animal. We need other people um, in order to feel kind of human. <laughs> and so any bonding experience, I mean, you know how closely bonded, for example, veterans are. If they've been in the same unit, they've had the same experience. It's an experience which outsiders however sympathetic they may be to the experiences, you know, people have suffered in, in, in wars or conflicts of any kind, can't share. So it gives you kind of, ex- you're belonging to an exclusive club. And um, I'm not likening riding on a white knuckle ride to going through combat, but I am saying that the sense of companionship and unity, you know, teams work very closely together if they're a good team. The police will always unite together. The uh, the military will always unite together. And so, in a sense, going on a white-knuckle ride with a group of other people, uh, even if they're strangers, they will be less strangers as you come off the ride because you've all shared the same experience. And it's the sharing of experience which I find so important. And that's why, well, before COVID, when we were running these self-help groups for individuals, uh, it was a unifying bond. They, were all, they all felt they had, had the same kind of problem. The, the danger there is, of course, the problem can become the one reason why they join the club. So they feel if they overcome their problem, they'll somehow be excluded from that group of, of, of like-minded people. Of course, with, with white-knuckle rides, apart from just affording the ride, you, you know, there's no really kind of membership qualification. <laughs> I guess the only membership qualification you would have is uh, if you're there in an ACE event, if you're an ACE member, or do you just happen to purchase a ticket that day to the park, then... That would be the, uh, the the exact same thing. So I don't want to link because obviously I'm not a doctor uh, but <laughs> when it comes to psychology, but it, it sort of sounds like that there is a therapeutic benefit to going on these rides together. If you like them, I mean, I have to say, I have to put my hands up here and say, I have never been on one of these rides. I have seen really? hundreds of these rides, but I would never go anywhere near them. I... I I tried to rationalize this. Why don't I want to go on the ride? I mean, you know, the theme park operators and in the UK always say, come on the ride, come on the ride. So I said, no, no, <laughs> I'll sit here and watch my subjects go on the ride. And my subjects are all wired up. They they have uh, they have camera glasses which show me not only what they were seeing, but what they, where their eyes were moving when they were traveling around. They are measured, we measure their heart rate, we measure their blood pressure, we measure a thing called the uh, galvanic skin response, this old-fashioned term, the kind of the difference in the body's ability to conduct electricity, which may sound rather scary, but it's a very small, completely harmless, but that measures the level of of what autonomic arousal, the level of that doesn't necessarily measure the level of fear. It just measures how aroused the body is becoming. Because how you interpret that arousal is very much a subjective thing. If you interpret it as fear, then you'll be afraid. If you interpret it as excitement, 
and joy, then you'll be excited. And on a white knuckle ride, I have to say you have very good reasons for experiencing it as joy because your body is producing a, a huge number of chemicals of, of, of neurotransmitters which are associated with joy, such as dopamine, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have heard of, which is called, kind of course, called the joy chemical. It's the kind of thing which used to be generated by... Uh, rock and roll and, and stuff like that it generates it gives you a huge buzz it, it's the kind of what's the buzz into your body now you can interpret that and most people do under those circumstances as excitement as joy as pleasure and it can be very addictive and i don't know whether your your organization has found it but people want to go back on a ride the first thing they want to do when they come off a ride is to get back in the line and rejoin the ride so uh you know dopamine and the other and also you produce a lot of adrenaline and we've actually measured the strength levels of people when they came off the ride and they become stronger when they're off the when they've just come off the ride it doesn't last very long but if you if you measure for example their 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 grip strength, or their uh, their by 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 the strength of their biceps, uh, they they are actually physically stronger. So not only you know you feel you've experienced the the experience of Superman, you actually feel Superwoman, Superman, physically as well as mentally. Well, I can tell you right now that you're making a lot of very uh, people very excited who think that they've just found their new gym plan instead of working out, but not, not quite that. It's obviously very temporary, but that is still fascinating to, to think that, that just for a few moments there, for a little while, you're just a little bit stronger just because you went on a ride. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Well, it's, it's the amount of adrenaline, it's the amount of the, the, you know, the hormone adrenaline which, and all adrenaline which you're producing because your body is responding to this as though you're at, at least at one level, as though you're at physical danger. You know, so you're, you're confronting the... Uh, the tiger uh, on the path in front of you through the jungle. So, yeah, you have all these things. When you're fighting or fleeing, you need to have more strength. You know, if you're going to fight somebody, if you're going to run away from them, you want to be able to run faster than they can. I mean, that's that's survival strategy. Or you want to be able to fight harder than they can. Uh, and that's another survival strategy. It's not a particularly good survival strategy, although in some circumstances it, it will be. But generally speaking, I don't advise my clients to, you know, have a fist fight <laughs> no generally i would probably dissuade them from that as well i would sooner they went on a white knuckle ride or went for a jog or went to dance because all these things will generate these joy chemicals so dopamine serotonin oxytocin endorphin all these are are, are what we call the joy chemicals and the more you can generate and you can generate them by a whole range of things uh, you know and white knuckle rice just happens to be one way you could we can enjoy that and because it, it it involves all the senses you know if you're sitting in a, in a horror cinema you may want to you know, kind of scream and cover your eyes when the when the villain appears but when they're on a white knuckle ride you're being thrown around so you're you know all your senses are being stimulated, not just your visual sense or your auditory sense or you know what you can see or what you can hear. Everything is being stimulated, uh, uh, apart from all your, your 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 feeling of your sense of taste, because your mouth does tend to go a bit dry under these circumstances. We found. Mm, yeah, certainly. I don't think you want to taste anything on a roller coaster. Smell, sure, but 
uh, especially with some of those uh, what they call 4D attractions where they include scents and that sort of smell. But yeah, taste probably not one you want to most likely avoid if at all possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they used to be cinemas, didn't they, where they would pump perfume under the seats or some kind of aroma which was supposed to increase people's values. I don't think it was commercially successful. I don't think many people thought it was any value at all. Because, you know, what is your main sensory input on a particular stimulus at the cinema it's a visual input and an auditory input on a white knuckle ride it's visual it's auditory Uh, particularly you've got hundreds of people dozens of people around you screaming their heads off and you're screaming your head off so you know that can be and also another factor when you're screaming or when you're shouting you're actually stimulating the amount of air reaching your lungs so you're you know giving yourself a, a also an oxygen kick as well I mean, the, the list of benefits to going on rides just seems to keep getting longer and longer the more we're talking. <laughs> sure. I mean, if you enjoy it, go on the ride and you'll, you'll, learn, you'll learn to, you'll either hate it and never want to go really on a ride again, or you'll love it and you want to go back on the rides again and again. again. It can be, as I say, like dancing or marching or singing, very addictive. You, you want to get more and more of it because you're getting these joy, joy kind of joy chemical uh, hits. Well, certainly that's the case, considering some of our members have well over 2,000 different roller coaster credits around the world. So I think addicting would certainly be the apt word for that. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the, the show with us. Is there uh, anything that we may have missed before we wrap up? I don't think so, Chris. I think if somebody was up at five o'clock in the morning, and here, it's, as you say, it's coming up to midday. <laughs> uh, I only hope the weather's a bit better for you in Texas than it is here, because it's a ghastly day. Uh, well, it's going to be, as you would say, uh, ghastly at some point. But uh, considering it's been about 80 degrees, uh, well, you know, that's uh, us. So whatever centigrade is, um, it's been shorts and T-shirt weather for pretty much through Christmas. Well, may long way continue. And I hope you all have a very happy new year, a slightly easier new year than it has been in 2021, because I think it's been very difficult for a lot of people. And I've my heart goes out to people, particularly when they're isolated, when they're on their own. You know, when a program like yours is is an important contact for them, it just shows their human beings out there, however lonely they feel, you know, confined to their own homes. Well, folks, you heard it here first. There are health benefits to riding roller coasters, believe it or not. Dr. Lewis, thank you again so much for talking with us about the incredible psychology behind some of these rides. My pleasure. Well, that was probably one of the coolest interviewees that I've ever had the opportunity to speak with, Elizabeth. Who would have thought riding Superman could give you superhero strength, albeit for a very short amount of time? You know, it really doesn't surprise me too much, Chris, because we hear our members say how great they feel when they're in the park and the mental relief and that play like a kid. We hear our members saying that. So I think he just tapped into what we might have already subconsciously known. Absolutely. And here's the best part. It's backed up by science, which is always a great thing to have. You're exactly right. And boy, can we justify to all those naysayers that wonder about our interesting hobby of why we do it now. Absolutely. It's for our own health. What can we say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we have to make a bit of a pivot here. And as we record the podcast, uh, we are learning now that... uh, We have lost a fellow friend in the amusement industry. 
uh, the Blue Streak at Conneaut Lake, which was a coaster that had been under some duress for quite some time and seemed to always be teetering on the edge of not ever opening again. Uh, unfortunately, this week we did lose it permanently due to a demolition permit uh, and subsequent fire at Conneaut Lake Park. There are a lot of emotions when you go through something like this. They're still very raw, I would imagine, for many of our Western Pennsylvania ACE members. ACE did a lot to try to keep this ride open, didn't they, Elizabeth? We really did, and not just ACE, but so many people in the Pennsylvania area, their historical society, and so many people in the industry were trying their best to find a solution, and sadly, it just didn't come to culmination. You know, ACE has done so many great things over the years. The The one that everyone seems to or likes to point out is the Belmont Park Giant Dipper. And that has certainly been one of ACE's greatest successes is being able to bring that ride and be honest, that whole park back to life. But when it comes to other parks, it can be a bit more difficult at times, especially when you have the circumstances that Conneaut had. Isn't that right? That's true. And you look at it, it's a business. And as much as we want to help and preserve, it's someone making business decisions and they own the park. So it comes down to their passion and they do what they feel like is right for their business. And sadly, this one didn't turn out the way we'd like. You know, we had such great success at other parks, Lake Mont being another example where we have had engagement and people taking our help. And sadly, this time, it just didn't come out the way we wanted it. So I know there's a lot of you listening right now who are disappointed. That's probably not the the strongest term that that you'd probably use at this point. But if there is a a glass is half full situation here, Elizabeth, I think it's that with ACE's contributions, and we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, you know, over many different years to keep the ride going, to getting the right connections, to finding sponsorships for the ride. As a result, yes, the ride itself is gone forever. We know that. But with ACE's help, we were able to give the Blue Streak experience to so many countless other people by keeping it open as long as we did. You're right, Chris. It would have closed many, many years ago. I feel like if it wasn't for ACE's efforts and so many others getting involved, I think about the Pepsi grant that they received, the Historical Society um, brought them money. There was money coming that kept it running longer than what it may have if it wasn't for all of us, you know, and it delivered many more thrills and memories for people that came back and rode it year after year and had so much fun at that park. You're exactly right. At least we got more years out of it than what it would have been. Absolutely. And like you said, it does come back to, it is a business decision. And I know that really hurts for a lot of folks that take it to heart, but these are all businesses and sometimes they just don't work out in the enthusiast's favor. That's just the way it is. When you have to remove a ride at a park that you love because it's just old and worn out, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, there's a reason that the Woodies last longer than the steel coasters. At a certain point, you just can't keep re-welding the same problem. So it, it comes down to that in some cases. With Conneaut, it's a very unique situation. Uh, it's certainly unfortunate. You know, from what we understand, at least one of the cars from Blue Streak is being donated to a local historical association. So that's good to hear if that does work out. 
here's the most important thing, and I think the most important takeaway, Elizabeth, which is in this industry, there is only one constant, and that is change. And while in many cases, some of these parks and these coasters are historic, or they go back from you know several generations in some cases, you never know when they may not be there anymore, when your favorite ride might be gone. So when you go to a park, always enjoy it as if it was your last. You know, in Latin, they call that carpe diem or seize the day. I think it should be carpe coaster. Seize every coaster you can get the chance to ride. You're exactly right, Chris. And don't delay those trips and those coasters that you really want to ride. I know I was one of the fortunate ones that had never gotten to ride Blue Streak. And when it reopened a few years ago, I was able to pop in one night on the way home from Cedar Point, and I'm so grateful we made that stop. Not only did I get my only rides on Blue Street, but I have my favorite souvenir ever from that park. And what's that? It is a wooden cutout of the Blue Street that sits on top of a door frame. Every time I open my closet, I get to look at that. It just makes me happy because I remember how fun it was to just stop in at the park. I love the park. I wish that it could be there forever, but you're exactly right. It's a business and things change. You know, Connie at Lake has had a volatile, it, that's not even a strong enough word, history. I mean, how many fires has that park had? It's always been such a trauma happening there, really, for the park goers that there's always been change. And I have to say that the new Connie at Lake makes me sad um, because it will be without the blue streak. Certainly, and I think your sentiment is shared amongst many other locals and ride enthusiasts around the world. So if we're looking at a a glasses half full scenario here, if you got a chance to ride Blue Streak, awesome. No one can ever take that away from you. No demolition permit, no fire can ever take away that ride from you. If you didn't get a chance to ride Blue Streak, then that should be the to light the proverbial fire underneath you to get out to your local parks if you're able to, depending on health and other issues going on, and experience all those rides because we don't know when they may have to leave us. That's just an unfortunate fact of the industry, but it also makes every ride that much more special, doesn't it? It really does, and it reminds you that just like life, it's not guaranteed, that we've got to embrace that moment and savor it and hold on to those memories that you made, whether it was the memory that you didn't get to write it or the memory that you did. Either way, use it and let the blue streak live on in your heart and motivate you. You know, Elizabeth, one of the things that I thought might be kind of cool to do uh, as sort of a tribute to to old Conneaut and to the blue streak is if our listeners can send in some memories they had of going to the park or going to ride the Blue Streak specifically. I'd love to be able to hear everybody's collective experience. And maybe we can put them together as a nice little mini cast later on this month. What do you think? I think that's a great salute to the Blue Streak. And to start that Connected by Coasters, share your stories. There it is. And share those memories with us. Absolutely. So here's what you can do, folks. Just go to podcast at aceonline.org. Send us an email with an MP3. Just record it off your phone. No big deal. And tell us what your Blue Streak memory is. And remember the good times. We'll put them all together into a mini cast later on this month. And we'll be able to hear everyone's good times with the Blue Streak, which is really what you want to remember it as. Well, with that, we do have to wrap up this month's Ride With Us podcast. Elizabeth, thank you so much for hanging out with us again. I really appreciate you coming on. Chris, I always enjoy visiting on the podcast. 
it's my pleasure to get this chance to sit down with you and all of our listeners. Well, thank you again, Elizabeth. And thank you to everyone listening there at home or wherever you listen to the ACE podcast. We look forward to hearing your blue streak memories coming in at podcast at aceonline.org. And we'll look forward to seeing you hopefully at an ACE event near you.